Buildings on Air with Kiefer Dunn on London Radio. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this November episode of Buildings on Air. I'm your host, Kiefer Dunn, and you, of course, are listening to WLPNLP Chicago 105.5 FM. That is, unless you're listening to the podcast version way later, which is okay, but not quite as good. <laughs> anyway, um, we're here in the studio. We've got a really great show lined up for you, and um, I tell you, the sacrifices we make for, for public radio, uh, community radio folks, Liverpool is playing Arsenal right now as we record this. And this is uh, very painful. Very, uh, you 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 scheduled this extremely badly, <laughs> Keeper. <laughs> yes, but f- fortunately, I was I was I was gonna you know I was worried about it. I was like, I'm gonna the score is going to get spoiled. But um, silly me, I should have remembered that uh, producer Jamie, being a huge Arsenal fan, uh, would 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 be uh, streaming the show. So if if <laughs> if you hear repressed sort of uh, screams of joy or terror, uh, depending on you know. What's happening? Uh, you know what it is now. I'm going to try hard not to curse. <laughs> okay. It might be the first time we actually need that, that button on, the, on this show. It could be. <laughs> uh, that is unless any of our guests need it uh, today. <laughs> um, and, and those guests for today uh, are, uh, we have Will Quay of Brick of Chicago uh, right out the gate. Then we'll be talking with um, a frequent Buildings on Air guest, uh, Marinella Deprile, about uh, her article in Common Edge um, about the relevancy of architects and architecture. Um, and then we'll be answering your listener questions about buildings in our regular mailbag segment with our regular mailbag correspondents and Louie and Craig Rashke, who are back with us after a little bit of a hiatus. Um, so that's the show. And there's still time to get in some of those questions, folks. So um, you feel free to tweet them at Buildings on Air on Twitter, at BLDGS on Air, um, and we'll do our best to answer them. Um, but that brings us to our first segment, which I'm super stoked about as a masonry nerd <laughs> to have another masonry nerd uh, in 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 the studio with us. Will, how's it going? It's going great. Glad to be here. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I've, I feel like I've just been on this like vision quest for like <laughs> the last year sure. on like having to do with like all things masonry. I just got... Um, I just got uh, 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 admitted, I guess, to to a thing called Masonry Camp. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned this one. Masonry Camp. Masonry Camp. It's a thing put on by the International Masonry Institute where they get like 24 recently licensed architects together with 24 union bricklayers um, for like a week of fun, which like for anyone who knows me is like my my dream. (laughs) That sounds exactly like my dream too. I want to, I'm not a licensed architect, but I'd love to go just document. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty spectacular. Um, so I, I, I've, I've, that, that's to say that I've been a, a sort of longtime follower of your work as, as sort of brick of Chicago, yeah. uh, being, being a, being a lover of uh, Chicago brick. Um, so you know, to those, to those who aren't familiar, um, maybe you can tell, tell us what brick of Chicago is, and uh, also for, for our kind of podcast audience, which is far flung, um, uh, uh, just stay, stay on board because I'm telling you, you just have to trust me that bricks in Chicago. Chicago uh, will reveal things about yeah. bricks anywhere. <laughs> yeah. So, Brick of Chicago is a, a what started as just an Instagram project. I 
you know, wanted to pay a little more attention to the world. So I just started taking pictures of brick walls uh, on my daily commute and, and places I was walking as I started noticing all these buildings, you know, homes and, and commercial buildings had very similar layouts. Mm-hmm. But it was the brick that really set them apart. Um, and so I started taking pictures and texted a bunch of friends and asked if they would follow an account. And then I... Uh, started posting them online and and then researching brick and the history of brick in Chicago and it was like learning a whole new language. Yeah. It's like learning a whole new language that had been hidden in front of me in plain sight. There's so much technical detail and terminology and things about brick that I had never known. Yeah, and it's it's amazing cuz like no two I think it's a very poetic way to put it cuz you know it, there, there's no two buildings that are kind of like, you know, saying the same words, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. And so so um you know, I and but how was it that you kind of landed landed on brick? Was that or was it just kind of by by chance? Or it was a little bit by chance, a little bit by prior knowledge. I yeah. uh, I read a, a book that talked a, a little bit about brick in in one brief period about how older bricks are smaller and more variant, mm-hmm. and newer bricks, you know, which I now know are larger extruded block, yeah. are much larger, much more uniform in size, shape, and color, and everything, and how you know older buildings tend to have a little more interest because of that. Yeah, uh, and then. That led me to paying a little closer attention to to that thing. And then, you know, once I started researching that little bit into bricks, I just saw how deep that well went. And I decided, I guess, well, I'll chase, I'll chase this one. <laughs> yeah, right. You know? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. And, and it is, uh, there, there is kind of nothing like, you know, walking around Chicago and, yeah. and kind of being, being able to take notice of something like that. It, I feel like, uh, I feel like it's, it's, it's very, it's very sort of soothing. <laughs> it is. It, I mean, it really, it's very meditative and it, it, you know, I'm someone who, you know, I've always got to have a podcast on. I've always like checking my phone and stuff. And so to be able to just kind of turn everything off yeah. and walk around and just throw my mind into focusing on buildings and noticing the world around me yeah. has been so wonderful. And to, 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 to wax even more poetic about Brick, uh, you know, because I, I think that one of the things that's a, that, that I like about it so much is like – you just like even even in this I'm, I'm gazing out the yeah, window. We've got, we've got <laughs> some great bricks. The tiny studio window, right? And, That's uh, a great brick outside some, the window. Some some fantastic brick uh, uh, from from the church uh, nearby. Um, yeah. And and there's like you know typical sort of Chicago two flat near near there as well. Yeah, we've got uh, we've got right across the street from us uh, the back of what looks like a pretty much a. a three stories tall, almost like worker's cottage that just got blown up. Yeah. And it's got Chicago commons along the side and the back. And, uh, you know, if you've been to Chicago, you've seen these common bricks. They're on the sides and back of every building of a certain age in Chicago, apartment buildings, commercial buildings, even some skyscrapers. Yeah. And it's that yellow to pink to deep red brick. And it just ages so beautifully. Um, and, you know, what we can see, we've got a window filled in, in that pink brick, but the rest of the building is a little more of uh, that yellow buff color uh, yeah. with some, you know, patina of, of black from, you know, and that's industry. Right. They're staining, staining <laughs> yeah. the color. Es- especially uh, here in Bridgeport, by the yes. way, you know, <laughs> exactly. uh, from, from back in the day. But yeah, so the Chicago Common Brick, uh, I, I know you've sort of... Uh, uh, you sort of pointed to some articles about yeah. Chicago Common on on your website. So, like, tell tell us about that because I, I think you know, uh, in its kind of like imperfection, it's very sort of soothing yeah. the Chicago yeah. Common brick and you know the perfect grid uh, versus the kind of imperfection of the actual bricks sure. and, and the patina and the the, the kind of uh, pointing over the years. Um, it, it, it has something magical about it. What 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 is it? Because it, you can kind of yeah. explain it, right? <laughs> well, Chicago Common Brick is is so wonderful because it is 
so much of Chicago and Chicago's history. After the fire of 1871, you couldn't build large buildings and housing out of wood because it was these wood balloon houses that yeah. balloon frame houses that burned everything down. So they went to the river and they went to the lake and they started dredging that clay and making that clay mm. into bricks. Mm-hmm. And that brick was the is the Chicago common brick. Um, and it was cheap and they could make a ton of it. And yeah. they did make a ton of it. And that's what they used to build and rebuild the city. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's everywhere. And it was that way until about the 1980s when Cinderblock became, took over. Right. And that's when the last um, brickyard making um, Chicago common brick uh, closed down. Um, but yeah, and it, you know, like the city, it's, it's got so much character to it and it is, it's everywhere and it's, it's all across this city. Yeah. I read, um, I, uh, no folks, that is the sound of producer Jamie pumping (laughs) his fists as Arsenal draws level with Liverpool. Danny Welbeck. And this is a sad host now. Uh, <laughs> and, a ha- and a happy producer. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm just glad Derek Rose got 50 points from Tim Rolls the other day. Uh, maybe soccer will be my next thing. Yeah. Uh, so I had a really good question. Like, okay, so Chicago, I, this is an interest. This, this is so distracting. The game has nine <laughs> minutes left. Oh my God. This is very embarrassing. Uh, it's, uh, it's super embarrassing. <laughs> you know, it, it is one of the, one of the, the joys of live radio that we can kind of pull back the veil a little bit. On, yeah. On exactly. <laughs> to show that we're having this deep discussion. It's actually really fascinating about Chicago brick. I happen to be really fascinated with this <laughs> while also watching a Frenchman tear the heart out of Liverpool. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Um, anyway, back to the regularly scheduled programming. Um, yes, yeah, so uh, I, I was um, – I heard this apocryphal story about the kind of Chicago fire. Sure. Uh, uh, so, you know, one one of the reasons why, you know – Brick is favorable, as you mentioned, is because of uh, the the kind of legacy of the fire yeah. and the building codes and everything here. And you know, concrete wasn't really uh, economical building material until sure. like fairly recently. We kind of forget. Um, and so th- they 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 did the brick, um, but they had a huge debate actually immediately following the fire about whether brick or wood was more flammable. Huh. Um, and again, this is a pretty apocryphal story, that. but I've heard it many times. And it's I, apparently it's because uh, during during the fire, a lot of the brick buildings that were in the loop got so hot that the bricks were like Exploded. exploding, mm. and um, this made people feel like, oh no, like actually, like it's a, a kind of, kind of like. 19th century galaxy sure, brain sure. actually the bricks are more dangerous <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, which of course uh, I, I guess was rectified when someone went to like a city hall meeting and was like with a block of wood and like uh, a brick it yeah. was like I have a matchbook like let's try to light let's, one of these things on fire let's, let's make a real demonstration of this yeah. I hadn't heard that but you know they were so afraid of fire I believe that they, they would chase every option yeah but yeah it's like like most things in the world it's you know these kind of building materials they, they kind of come to us with uh, 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 these kind of immense social histories that you can kind of read through them. And and um, I know that's something that you're also kind yeah. of in- interested in. We talked a little bit about it on the phone. Uh, you know, Buildings on Air is a show. We, 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 we uh, try to connect um, sort of lefty stuff with, with architecture yeah. when, it, when it's practical. Um, but, you know, the, the, the Chicago common brick has a kind of uh, relation to all of this. It does, yeah. There's It's because it is now... Um, it's now become so much more valuable because it, it, no one's making it anymore. Right. Um, and 
you know, brick has also become, again, a, a very valuable material and a valuable facade material. Uh, and people want it, you know, exposed brick walls in their homes and they want people right. building massive homes in the suburbs. They want the Chicago Commons because they are so varied and beautiful and have such a, a, a weathered patina mm-hmm. that you don't get with, you know, a, a other cheap, you know, a cheap extruded product. Everything's going to look the same and right. it's going to be right. boring. But a, a wall of Chicago Commons is so valuable. So what they're doing is when they tear down a building, a lot of times uh, – they will meticulously tear it down because it is more valuable as its individual bricks mm. than it is as a piece of land in a structure. And a lot of times, um, that's a wild yeah. statement, right? right? Like, exactly. it's just like a what, like what a fact to just like. Wow. Well, and from each of those individual bricks, they can actually make two bricks uh, because the, what you have now is what is called thin brick, yeah. where they take that Chicago common and they uh, put it. Through uh, you know a masonry bandsaw, yeah. and they slice each of the long faces, which are called stretchers, off of it, and then you got two basically stickers, and yeah. then they stick those to the wall. Yeah, uh, and a lot of the buildings that are getting torn down for that are are buildings in in underserved communities, places like Englewood, sure. um, you know, where there's a lot of wonderful stuff happening in Englewood, but they're tearing down a lot of buildings for those brick, as, as opposed to letting local businesses take them over. Yeah. Can producer Jamie ask a dumb question? Sure. Why, why, if Chicago common brick is so valuable, why aren't people making it anymore? One would think that there's a business opportunity there. That's a great question that I actually don't know the answer to. Yeah, I, I think I'm, I can talk about it a little bit because, you know, I, I think it really does have to do with the kind of the, the economy of scale mm-hmm. uh, and, and also uh, of, of how you make – hand make bricks mm-hmm. you know uh, and it's i think it's probably a numbers game of it's still cheaper yeah. to go uh especially when you're talking about uh you know like ex- like basically what's what's a what's a business of of extraction from like you know a grossly underserved community uh and and, and neighborhood um i think it's i think it's just a numbers game plus it is really hard to just uh you know you can chemically uh you can chemically attain a patina, um, mm-hmm. but it's really difficult um, to kind of get that that amount of variation yeah. in in the kind of context of mass production. It would it would be much more expensive. Yeah. You'd be looking at some of the, what I find some of the more beautiful bricks are what are called um, waterstruck brick, yeah. and that's brick where they're packing it, hand packing it into a mold that's been lined with sort of a calcium um, liquid. And so when they take it out of those molds, each one has its own individual character. Right. But those are much more expensive because they're being hand-packed and hand-prepared and with sure. the solution. You know, when your Chicago Commons were the cheap option, so that's why they're on the sides and back of buildings. But when you look at a, a new condo or Marianas or stuff being built, yeah. they're using huge extruded blocks because they can, you know, produce 50,000, or I'm sorry, 50 million of those in a year. Um, I visited a brickyard um, where they're producing 50 million of those in a year with 32 people. Yeah. <laughs> um, but these Chicago commons were hand-packed. They were put into wooden molds, um, and they've already got that character. And it would be really difficult for them to, I think, make that, yeah. something with that amount of character on a cheap scale mm-hmm. for, you know, a bunch of homes where just they want one wall that's or they want a facade. Yeah. So you don't need this. Yeah, I think it probably is a big question of volume. Yeah, and, and you know, one of, one of the other things that I, I find kind of endlessly fascinating, too, is the um, – is, and I, we've talked about this in mailbag segments on the show too, but and this is related to my kind of vision quest mm-hmm. of masonry. Is you know like with nothing, there's nothing like a brick wall that to yeah. like point to it and like be like they don't make them like they used to. Yeah, it's true. It's <laughs> right? true. You really, you know, I, I, it's so. 
you can date buildings, especially buildings from the 90s and yeah. early aughts, based on the quality of their brick. Yeah. Uh, and, and just the sameness of the brick. Yeah. And, and part of it is, is I think, because, um, because of the, the kind of cavity wall construction. Mm-hmm. And that's what we've been kind of thinking about in our office a lot is, is this, you know, for, the, for code reasons, you have to have a kind of yeah. a backer wall, cavity wall. And, and, you, um, I, and, and, and this is kind of like an aesthetic problem that's persisted for a really long time yeah. now. I actually found, you'll be interested <laughs> in this, I found from like the 1950s um, that the, the Royal in, uh, Institute of British Architects, they produced this manual um, the architecture use architectural use of building materials uh-huh. and um they had this thing that was like st- stretcher bond right so this is mm-hmm. uh well maybe you could tell us tell us what well bond so is. <laughs> uh the, the first thing you'll learn about um all the, what i talked about this all the secret language of bricks is you call a brick something different based on how it's laid yeah so if you think of a long brick that's called a stretcher the long face when you turn it so it's going backwards that's called a header you turn that up it's a row lock you hold it up nice and tall and skinny that's called a soldier tall with the flat broad flat face forward that's a sailor and then sideways with the broad fat face forward is called a uh shiner so each one has a different name yeah uh and that's because when you talked about bonds a bond is the way you lay the brick to give the wall depth and give historically give it strength yeah so you want to all be alternating stretchers and headers so the headers are going back into the wall but with a cavity wall right. all you need are stretchers right. all you need are long bricks so so this is a way to decode whether there's actually an airspace behind your wall this yeah. is like one of like uh the this one of the, the kind of the first thing you learn when you start to get into the secret yeah. language and and uh uh so you the Reba, uh, the British architects, they noted this problem in this study. This stretcher bond is commonly used for the outer four and a half inch leaf of a cavity wall. It has a stupidly monotonous appearance, <laughs> and there must be many square miles of it all over the country. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I love that they were like, you it know, is. just calling it in the 1960s. And of course, this problem uh, has kind of only only persisted. The, yeah, the the only variation you'll see on it is with that huge masonry block. They'll now do raking stretcher bonds. So yeah. instead. Instead of the stretchers being centered over each other or offset at the center, it's just a little more to one side mm. or the other, and it's and it still looks, you know. And the English would talk; the English bond is yeah. is one row of all stretchers <laughs> alternating with one row of all headers. So they're yeah. very much in they the English are in the the masonry lexicon. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> so and so. Uh, yeah, so like I, this is what, and this is one of the reasons why I appreciate kind of Brick of Chicago yeah. so much is because I think that it, um, it sort of highlights the kind of beauty of really like of like craft yeah. and like you know I think in in both the kind of process of kind of you know walking and looking at these things, mm-hmm. but also it's kind of embodied in the in the buildings itself. It's it's kind of an homage to to sort of slowness. Yeah, and and the buildings I'm I'm focusing on in Brick of Chicago, where I'm taking photos of, of brick walls or or now um, more full structures as well. Yeah. But they they're apartment buildings. Yeah, they're storefronts. They're small houses. I've I've rarely featured. Um, large, uh, you know, buildings designed by famous architects or buildings noted for their splendor. Sure. You know, and I went to, um, I, I have a brother in Pittsburgh, and so we went to visit visited Falling Water. Yeah. And so I, I but I looked particularly at the stone. Yeah. Because the way Frank Lloyd Wright, he's all about the horizontal line. He selected stones where long, flat stones alternating with larger, mm. fatter ones. Yeah. Um, and so when you really look at the brick, you can celebrate all the varied 
you know, mundane buildings yeah. that, that surround us in the city and, and in the world. Yeah. And so, and t- so tell us about your process. You've already mentioned it a little bit. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, uh, so you walk around and you sort of collect these things. Yeah. And I walk around and uh, it started, I, I was purely just as I was walking someplace or driving on my commute. But now that I've, I, li- I lived in Andersonville for a while and now I live in, in Lincoln Square, Ravenswood area. So I, I know the, that area more. I'll, I'll go out searching for stuff. So, mm. you know, I knew I was going to be here yeah. in Bridgeport <laughs> at two, and I haven't spent a ton of time in Bridgeport, so I got here at one. Yeah. And I brought my camera, and I just sort of picked a street, and I set off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I, I poked around the church down the way. I'm not, you know, sure for certain, but it looks like the face of it is is Milwaukee Cream City Brick. Yeah. Um, but then Chicago Commons all along the back, and I there's lovely, um, you know, two and three flats um of a very particular era where it's, you know, flat front with limestone lintels and then a nice, you know, steep gable. Yeah. But there's a lot of corbeling, which are those step bricks stepped out to make little stairs along the edge. And so I'm looking for these details and I'm thinking, what is unique? What stands out? What do you just not see at all anymore? Right. And then I'm taking photos of that and documenting. There's a, on the police station around the corner, someone's taken chalk and colored in individual bricks. <laughs> and so that's yeah. a lovely thing just to like notice. So I yeah. take, take pictures of that. Yeah. And, you know, encouraging people to uh, just notice more stuff. You know, I'm, I'm very much thinking about what is going to be interesting for people to see, what is going to be surprising for people to see. Uh-huh. Like I would never think of that on an apartment building. Right. Um, but once they see it once, they start seeing it at other places. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so what's the what's the kind of e- editing process like? Like, how do you take picture? Like, I'm I'm also curious. Sure. Like, it, you don't you don't have to give away any trade secrets, yeah. <laughs> uh, but like, it's really hard to get a good picture of a brick wall actually because it is, kind th- of, like yeah. things are parallel and like not parallel, and you know, uh, you know, so, so like, what what what's the kind of secret there? Because because when you go to the, the brick of Chicago Instagram, yeah. It's gorgeous. Thank you. Thank you know, you, it's yeah. just, it's like, it's not just that you're kind of like capturing the, the kind of, uh, uh, the, the details in the brick, but they're, they're just really good photos. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean, yeah, I, I aim to my style, I guess, just sort of very flat on, you know, face on with it and very much tying in with the geometry of it. Mm-hmm. It is a modular product and mm-hmm. it is, you know, these rectangles and squares. And, and using that. Uh, and so I'll, for those, I, I will, you know, and for the first year I did it, I just used my phone. Mm. I used my phone partially because that's just what I had while I was there. Um, and getting a nicely framed uh, picture, I, I do a lot of the framing with when I take a photo with my phone just right there as I'm taking the photo. Yeah. So I don't have to do too much cropping afterwards. Um, but then I also... Uh, will oftentimes edit it there while I'm with the wall because mm-hmm. the photo can only capture so much of what the oh, light is doing, what the yeah. shadow is doing. And so I'm wanting to get it as accurate to what you're going to see with your eye. Um, but part of the wonderful thing about bricks too is they change constantly throughout the day with the sunlight and the shade mm. um, and the temperature. Uh, and so you can take a wall, picture of a wall at one moment and it's going to look very different at another. Mm. Uh, and then now that I, I, I use a, a camera more often, uh, as well because of 
um, I took a trip to New York in the uh, spring, um, and there's so much beautiful brick there, but it's all much higher up. Right. And so now I'm playing a lot around with more <laughs> capturing stuff that's on the uh, tall, taller parts of buildings. Sure. Um, and so I'm opening myself up to new angles, which is kind of a hilarious thing to say as a photographer. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but for my first year and a half of, of photographs, I took all very flat-on photos. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's the process is looking for what is interesting and what is the way that I can – accent the geometry of it the the you know oddly satisfying elements of it sure but and then also get it in a way in which someone could see that in the real world right yeah i very much am am sort of interested in how because you know so much about social media is about uh sort of detaching from reality and and i really (laughs) i think i think that's one of the reasons maybe but but the the secrets behind the success right (laughs) is that like you're you're very much sort of pulling people back into the the sort of material world and and sort of begging them to uh you know take a look at what's around them and i think that i think that people are kind of instinctively drawn to that i agree it's and it's it's strange because i now have a community of people around the world. Um, <laughs> I have people I, I correspond with in Copenhagen and in Australia. Yeah, what, what do you guys talk about? Well, we talk about bricks. <laughs> we talk yeah. about bricks. You know, uh, I, I have, uh, it's all, and it's through Instagram. Yeah. There are people who are in other countries who have been doing this before me or, yeah. or have started doing it after me. Um, and, you know, I, Sydney is a, a place I would love to go. I have a, a person I correspond with uh, on Instagram, Sydney Bricklove, um, who takes all these wonderful pictures of, of bricks. And these seem to be these incredible brick buildings in yeah. Sydney. And, you know, a, a person I correspond with in Copenhagen. And I'd love to go there and in Germany. And there are two people who I correspond with on Instagram who are taking photographs of the bricks in, in Greensville, South Carolina. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah. you know, there's... It's uh, it's remarkable, but then I have people from my my past who have reached out to me since I started doing it, who you know I'd lost touch with or or you know hadn't talked to in years, who are like, hey, here's some brick I I saw in Boston, or here's, <laughs> right, cool. here's some brick I saw in Muncie, yeah, uh, uh, and it's it's really I think helped people connect closer with their surroundings, which has been my, my hope all along. Yeah. And, and like, what a, what a beautiful and poetic story. Right? Like, yeah, right? like, like you can really, you can really draw some corny metaphors, but it's like, they're like, but they're, they're corny, but they're like real. It's like, okay, like brick is like this little unit that gets stacked up and, and it's th- like local and yeah. global. And, like, and I think part of it yeah. is that it's people No, everyone expects it to be boring. Yeah. And I, and so many of my friends have told me like, when you started doing this, it sounded like the dumbest thing I ever heard. <laughs> And and people would yeah. be like, oh wow! Like I, I saw your thing. Like that start as a joke, and now it's you know now it's not. I was like, no, no. it's it's been <laughs> sincere the whole time. Yeah, oh, that's so interesting. I really I'm, I really do think it has to do with the kind of like cavity wall stretcher bond, like perfect extruded brick. Yeah, because it really is boring. It's very boring. And if you grow up in the suburbs, that's ninety percent of the brick out there. That's all there is. Yeah. And so you know, I so I I can understand the sort of impulse when someone says that, but um, but 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 it's nice to be reminded that it's not true. Well, and, sh- and sh- I as I've traveled more yeah. um, with this mindset since I started doing this project, brick mindset. This oh, brick this mindset. <laughs> yeah, the brick mindset. This is going to be yeah. If if the alt right has like gorilla mindset and like things like this like we'll, we'll introduce the like our buildings mindset. on air pseudo lefty <laughs> sort of weird built environment uh, uh alternative brick the, mindset the brick mindset exactly <laughs> uh chicago is it, it has turned out to be this 
perfect place for me to have moved. I'm not I'm not from Chicago originally. I'm from St. Paul, Minnesota, and I went to school in Ohio, and I'm and I'm and I'm here now. Yeah. But because of I think its central location and its relationship with the fire, and then the railroad, and the ability to pull brick from around the country. Yeah. It is this city of such great and varied brick. Because when you go to Boston, I went to Boston uh, last summer to to take photographs of brick. There's a lot of really beautiful brick buildings there, but the brick is pretty much entirely red. Yeah. It's all this matte red brick, all, you know, pretty similar in size and shape and everything. Um, and that's because I think the time that that place was founded, they're emulating London. Mm. They're trying to, you know, emulate that red brick style. Sure. You see it in the architecture and you see it in the choice of brick. Um, and then the, uh, their natural clay seems to also have a lot of those red colors. The sides and backs of buildings where you look to see the natural clay, still it's a very red, it's a very pink stuff. But yeah. in Chicago, our naturally, naturally occurring brick is this varied color, and we're able to pull all this brick from around the country. Mm-hmm. Um, I collect bricks, and one of my favorite bricks is was made by the Coshocton Block Company in Coshocton, Ohio, mm. which is a small town right near where I went to college. So I was very, very glad to find it. But it's a beautiful <laughs> iron spot brick, yeah. which um, you'll see a lot around Chicago. It's it's a, they'll often be a purpley black blue color, and it's it's got these little black specks on it because they spray it with um, um, iron manganese, and mm. when it's fired, it vitrifies, turns to glass, yeah, and so. The surface is almost glassy with these little, you know, geographic specks on it, and that just plays the light so beautifully. It, that that's a type of wall that I have a lot of trouble photographing oh, because yeah. it is the light is so important. Yeah, um, and it's it's hard to capture what it's going to look like when you really see it. Yeah, totally. Oh man, I want to be on brick. I want to get in on this brick Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> so send me it's a great. message. It's great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because I because I want to see pictures of this. And yeah, I, we have so much uh, the 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 kind of options for glazing and the mm-hmm. detail. Do you do you know? I'm curious if you know anything about sort of like the the labor he- angle to this also. Yeah, because um, you know one one of the other things that that is sort of. I, th- I suspect, anyway, to be different is that um, I think a lot of the kind of flourishes and, and decorations mm-hmm. were not actually in the hands of the kind of architects. No, because um, if, if you look at the kind of, uh, especially like Chicago two or three flats, any neighborhood, you know, mm-hmm. you'll see a few of the same houses right in a row where you know an old yeah. an old timey version of of a developer. Sort sure, of, I mean, yeah. <laughs> threw them up, uh, and 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 an architect certain almost certainly drew the plans, but um, th- there'll be differences in the kind of brickwork that yeah. almost certainly weren't sort of specified. When by, you look at the at the like the the bungalow belt yeah. that Chicago is so famous for. The, those houses are all the same structurally. Yeah. They have the same layouts, but it's their brick that is it makes them different. Sure. And you know, and a lot of those choices were and and a lot of the artistry of that is from the brick layers mm. of that time. And especially uh, a lot of you'll see a lot of buildings in here in Bridgeport because of the age. They have a lot of what are called butter joints, which are these mortar joints that are just like you know, a millimeter thick. Mm-hmm. The bricks are just <laughs> practically touching. Yeah. And it's nearly impossible to get those nowadays. Yeah. The, the, the patience and it, the skill level is, is, is not there. Yeah. Um, and so you have these, the masons and the, and the bricklayers were such incredible artisans. Right. And putting together these also, you know, on apartment buildings, you have these incredible cornices and these incredible terracotta pieces that they're laying and they're assembling and they're putting inside the brick. Yeah. And so the, that labor element was so, um, 
is so important. And actually, to tie this tie this back to social justice, um, there's a, a a great organization. I don't know if I'm allowed to say the name. Oh, yeah, go for yeah, it. Yeah, the the Trade Institute of Pittsburgh, hmm. which is in Pittsburgh, and and they're what they do is they work with. Um, people who have been incarcerated or people who have experienced homelessness mm. and they give them a free, I think it's like a nine week program to teach them these like really intense building trades and artisanship that mm. goes in this uh, because, you know, Pittsburgh is experiencing a building boom as a lot of places are yeah. and, and, but also trade shortage. Right. Uh, and they also pair that with um, free counseling, free multiple hours of counseling. Yeah. And, um, you know, they're help. There's all these organizations that are helping to reinstill um, this level of artisanship uh, that has sort of been lost when we moved to cinder blocks yeah. and we moved to, uh, you know, more cheap, just like focusing on the cheap way of building buildings. Yeah, certainly. And, and I, you know, cause that's one of the other things I always wonder about <laughs> these sort of three yeah. flats and everything is, you know, uh, you, you know, talk about capitalism, socialism, and all these other things. But like the, the brass tax of it is that someone was willing to spend more sort of money because that was something that was valued in, yeah. that, in that sort of, exactly in that sort that. of time and place um, yeah. that was seen as kind of important, even in what was very, a very working class neighbor like Bridgeport, yeah. you know. Um, and, and, and now it's really hard to uh, uh, kind of imagine anything close to that context. It's, it's remarkable seeing yeah. these old apartment buildings, these courtyard buildings, these uh, these – you know, two flats and stuff that have these terracotta details or yeah. this like corbeling or, you know, contrasting colored brickwork because it's it's not structural. They don't need it. Yeah. But that it just gives the building so much more character. And a lot of times it's um, details like like that that really make the building less imposing. They reduce sure. the massing. But you see these modern uh, condos being built and they are just these huge bricks and they're just these flat walls and the windows <laughs> are just like cut out exactly. Yeah. Uh, and they've maybe got a little bit of like machined limestone. Yeah. But they're these huge imposing buildings or, you know, those condos that all have the same big square porches tiered sure. in front where lovely on the inside. They'll have friends who live in those and they look great yeah. on the inside. But on the outside, they look very dystopian and imposing <laughs> in a way that a, a, like a courtyard building, which yeah. were built specifically that way with those courtyards because of the work of people like Jane Adams um, yeah. wanting better living conditions. And so there were um, zoning rules that said you could only build on 75% of the yeah. lot. And so you had these courtyards. Yeah. I, I also I, I kind of love this uh, and, and this is perhaps related to my sort of brick vision quest yeah. that you you might be able to like you know understand like measure the amount of like you know care that a city has for for, for yeah, everyone yeah. by like the amount of like good brick it had like sure. like if we're at like we're we're at like the lowest point of like beautiful brick buildings yeah like you know once you start seeing like beautiful brickwork in new buildings yeah like i <laughs> my dream i guess is like uh okay like that that is a, somehow like a barometer for yeah. like the amount of justice and <laughs> there is some a there place. is a you'll see in, in places like fulton yeah. market which is an area that's changing a ton yeah you do see um, both in the you know rehabbing of buildings, but also in the building of new buildings, yeah. you do see some some buildings going in there or being redone with new brick that is of of a, of a more of, mm. of, of a higher quality. Yeah, uh, and and they're making because it's a historic area, they have to be making choices to blend in and to sure. enhance. And so there are projects that are happening that that are. That do give me hope. Yeah, yeah, and and also uh, if for especially for our, like architect audience, there's 
um, all of this amazing stuff happening in the, in in the Netherlands right now, mm, and, mm-hmm. and sort of that that part of the world with brick architecture. Yeah. There's like some something in the air. Huh. There's there's an uh, there's an architecture office named Mananak that does like really interesting things with brick. Named all after the, the Mananak building. Named after the Mananak building. The tallest, in Chicago. the tallest yes. habitable brick structure <laughs> in the world. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It, which is also a, certainly one of my favorite buildings, if not my it's, favorite it's great building, building in the city. Yeah, so I think there is something, and it has that those really thin butter joints. Uh, it does, yeah. it does so thin. Another great building for those joints is when you, if you go to, ever have a chance to go to the National Building Museum in Washington D.C. Yeah, um, is, is, that's a place I've, I've I've spent a lot of time as well. That has just these tiny, tiny joints, but they also have a lot of shaped bricks. Yeah, which are bricks that are are you know shaped into molds other than you know, your traditional rectangular size and they're all perfectly lined up and you, mm. you have these beautiful details around the windows of like the bricks scooping out and little fine lines it's incredible yeah so i'm i'm also curious cuz you're 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 not a sort of architecture person by training you kind of I'm not, no. stumbled into this I'm a, world i'm a middle school theater teacher so so how does that how does that figure in or or have you taken any of your sort of brick uh, brick brick lessons yeah back into the classroom. I I mean I think it it makes sense because I uh, you know as a I teach theater to middle schoolers and I and I I do for a lot of after school programs and so it, <laughs> my job is and I and I write and direct for uh, yeah. middle schools as well so my job is to be sort of professionally excited yeah. in a way to get <laughs> other people excited yeah, sure. um about stuff. Uh and so once I started taking these photos you know, the natural progression was Everybody else needs to understand how amazing this is as well. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. It's it's not dissimilar when I'm working with my kids and it's like we're having these incredible conversations about like how bullying affects them. It's like, great, now we need to make something. We need to share and we need to give the truth to people. Right. You know? And like you need to see like how much of a world we can create with just like a couple of chairs and some handmade props. Right. For me, it's now like <laughs> – English bond is a thing, and it's different from Flemish bond, which is different from rat trap bond. <laughs> right. The people have to know. Yeah. Um, and they must know. They, mu- they, they got to know. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and I think, you know, that's – I think I, I, if I could speak speak for my for my, my followers, I think that's probably been partially what has, has drawn people to it is I'm just unabashedly excited about it. Yeah. Uh, you know, in, in not a, a – I hope not a pretentious way, but also not in like a, oh – brick whatever it's this terrible thing that i'm the only one who loves sure right you know i want everybody else to love it too <laughs> yeah 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 it would be a weird thing to be precious about yeah um uh yeah that's that's so cool and um yeah at a minimum i bet you have like the best sort of theater sets i i, I recently uh saw a, a sort of I won't name the play because I don't want to throw any under the bus. Sure, but I would. Too, I, I saw this wonderful play, but uh, they had they had the the world's worst sort of faux brick oh. uh, uh, set, yep. and uh, you know it was like Those are everywhere. It was just like the the wallpaper, and so I, I know that even in your middle school productions, mm-hmm. <laughs> probably the the best faux brick around. It's. I mean, there's. I mean, because there's just these brick fake brick flats, and it's all stretcher yeah. bond that. You know, companies trade between each other. Companies certain level trade between each other. But a lot of my followers and you know friends in my personal life are set designers. Yeah, <laughs> um, and you know I and and they are liking my photos. And I I have a a friend who is a, a scenic painter for Empire who has said she's included her her stuff in some of her um, work that she'll bring to her her bosses. <laughs> um, you know, so I'm I am hoping I'm I can make a, an effect on. 
on the the sets of of worlds wonder woman is a movie that uh had really great brick in it. <laughs> there are a lot of really great brick buildings that i i am shout out to my my lovely girlfriend who um i sat next to and whispered that's some sussex bond right there <laughs> during climactic scenes uh, <laughs> nice so what what's in store next for sort of brick of chicago do you think um you know i i gave a, a tour recently yeah the first i'd ever done um uh, an architecture and brick tour and i i really enjoyed it and, and people seem to as well so i think i think i'd like to you know start the funny thing about instagram is it nobody you know for the most part but the casual follower doesn't know anything about me right um and I think I'd, I think I'd like to start bringing it more into the real world and actually taking walks uh, with people and doing that. But yeah. I'm, you know, I'm more and more using, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll be the first to admit I'm, I'm not a professional photographer. Yeah. I, I have no professional phot- photograph photography training. Um, but I'm now working more and more with the with the DL- DSLR mm. um, and trying to to become a better photographer i guess yeah sure learn learn more of that technique and 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 push myself further uh in that way and and you know become and I, i'd like to travel more uh i'd love to go to toulouse the uh chicago has chicago commons the brick in toulouse is pink huh. uh and that's one of that's it's it's brick color yeah you know similar <laughs> uh, milwaukee has cream city brick that's one of my favorite uh, dichotomies is they took the brick from the the Lake Michigan, and we took the clay from the Lake Michigan, and we took clay from Lake Michigan and the Chicago River. And ours is is pink and red and a sort of you know buff yellow, and theirs is this creamy white. Yeah, uh, and it's just because the the differences in the clay, just in those places. Yeah, and so you have these beautiful buildings of of white. So I think I'd like to go on the road even more and and take fo- even more photos in other places. Yeah, uh, and yeah, I don't know. It's I've been continually surprised by by this whole process, and I'm excited to continue to be surprised at what happens next. Yeah, that's awesome. And and you mentioned your brick collection. What's uh-huh. what's next for your brick collection? My brick collection, <laughs> it's, I've got. I can give you the rundown. I have a uh, deep red Chicago common. I have a, a buff yellow Chicago common. Uh-huh. A cream city brick from the Pabst complex up in Milwaukee. Uh-huh. I have a 20 inch uh, hand packed Italian brick made by San Alslemo. Uh, I have a red paver. And I have a, a perforated extruded brick, um, and I have my iron spot brick from the Shockton Bricking Block Company. But I do live in an apartment, uh-huh. uh, and I have moved twice in the last two years. <laughs> and carrying bricks is so not a- <laughs> it's it's not great. Uh, it's not the best. Um, but who knows? Who knows what uh, what'll what'll find its way into my collection? Yeah. Um, now that I know that uh, this is a thing that people are allowed to do, I'm sure. Uh, oh, there's the International yeah. Brick Collectors Association. Amazing. Um, there are people who have, you know, thousands and thousands of bricks. Oh, man. I, I feel like uh, this is going to be <laughs> this is going to be my rabbit hole for the rest of the week. There you go. And uh, probably spend way too much on shipping. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you're not allowed to, as a member, you're not allowed to buy or sell. You can only give or trade. There's, oh. there's, there's, there's pretty, pretty strict guidelines. That's amazing. Yeah. Thus, thus again, proving that that brick mindset. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Uh, and there's also there's something there's something very sort of just like left in the air with brick mindset, there and, is. and I'm happy that it extends even to the kind of <laughs> the way the, the way collecting. it's done. Yeah. And so there are people who, uh, you know, I know someone who um, 
collects only pavers made in Ohio. And so there, just as I am focusing on brick walls in Chicago, yeah. there are people who focus even more intensely. That's amazing. It's wonderful. Yeah. Well, I think uh, it's 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 time for us to wrap up. Um, Will, quite, thanks so much for joining Thank us. Thank you so much um, for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. People can find out more on, on brickofchicago.com. Brickofchicago.com uh, and, and on Instagram at brickofchicago. Well, it's it's been a real pleasure. pleasure. Uh, and uh, folks, get out there. Enjoy, enjoy being in brick mindset. <laughs> find that brick mindset. Enjoy the world. It's made of brick. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome back to Buildings on Air. Uh, this, of course, is the show where we talk about architecture and often politics. And now that we're all in sort of brick mindset, with the many becoming, you know, one sort of <laughs> brilliant sort of mass, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, here it is. Uh, uh, we can talk to our next guest. Um, but first, Jamie, <laughs> sports update. It is the final was Liverpool one, Arsenal one. Very, very a good, a good result. A good, I, I think a great game. I, a great, a great game. I think uh, you know, could be worse. Uh, it could be worse for both teams. Actually, could be a lot worse. <laughs> could be a lot worse. So sports buildings on <laughs> sports. Your buildings it, are it's, sports in spite of in spite of years as a professional in the world of professional sports broadcasting, I don't really know if it's uh, producer Jamie. I don't know if it's my calling uh, <laughs> to be <laughs> sports. Well, reporter. I mean, the, the truth of the matter is, after the game, so Liverpool still stays top. They got 20, uh, 27 points. Arsenal's in fourth with Spurs playing today. They're playing Wolves actually right now in an unusual late game. But uh, you know, Arsenal's on twenty three. Liverpool's on twenty seven. There's just four points separating the two teams. I think it's for an Arsenal fan, this is a more important game for us, I think, than for you guys. Uh, you guys are basically still almost undefeated. Uh, you've had a great run, uh, and the team is obviously uh, a favorite to win the league. Arsenal is obviously just trying to recover yeah. from uh, a disastrous several seasons under Arsene Wenger. <laughs> there you go. See, there you go. That's the sports pedigree uh, that we need. <laughs> uh, but of course, uh, that's not what you tuned in for. It isn't? No. Oh. You tuned in to hear uh, Marianella Dupriele, our next guest. No, but that was so impressive. <laughs> I know. It's it's almost like he's the one who gets paid to do this. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> it is almost like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, Reyna, welcome to the show. Um, um, you are the the, the most um, returningest Buildings on Air guest. Wow. And, uh, do I get a prize? <laughs> no. <laughs> do I get a trophy or a medal? Uh, no. Do I get a... Free coffee. I actually bought you coffee, so <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Oh god. And uh, you know, f- full disclosure, uh, Mayna, you, you are you are my partner in in life. That um, is correct. And, and, Thanks and, and for the reminder. <laughs> well, I say that mostly um, to save myself in case uh, <laughs> Jamie, oh, Jamie just brought in a trophy. <laughs> thank you. Wow, it has like keys hanging from it. <laughs> But but oh, I, wow. I I say that so if I call you dear or something which I don't usually do but if I do uh, I I won't come off on the radio as a huge creep. Um, oh okay yeah wow everyone's out there like this guy's weird. <laughs> yeah, this guy yeah. is a huge creep. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we're we're here to talk to you today about um, uh, something something that we both care quite a bit about. Um, which is kind of architecture and politics, and and you've been writing a lot about this, uh, especially now. Uh, you you just had an article come out in Common Edge um, mm-hmm. called "Making Architecture Relevant Will Involve Changing the System It Operates In," mm-hmm. um, and it's it, well, tell tell us what it is. What's going on? The article, yeah. Um, so 
it kind of the so the article started because I read this book called Art in Production, which is a book that was written in 1917 by a Soviet mm, artist named Boris Arvatov, and I thought it was really I'll I'll say what the book is about, but I just thought it was really relevant. Basically, he um, Arvatov traces the evolution of art as being like really intrinsic to everyday life uh to becoming a commodity object and um basically talks his main his main point is that in order for art to be able to exist under capitalism it has to be extraneous to everyday life so for example where it, you know bef- before um the global capitalism you could like make objects that could be considered art objects that were like inherent and very necessary to your everyday life for example like a desk that fit in your room perfectly or a like trivet that was made exactly to fit like uh your favorite like teapot um uh instead of art objects functioning in that way as being pretty much essential to carrying out your everyday life they've become um, something totally extraneous that can be then commodified right because like that perfect little trivet can't be mass produced um, and it can't be bought and sold um, on a mass scale in the way that um, that trivet can now that trivet now is no longer an, an art object um, and but also the things that are art objects are designed to be bought and sold. So he calls this like easel art. So it's it's art that isn't that that doesn't belong to anything else. It doesn't fit in to um, anyone's everyday life. Rather, it's made as like an addition, something that's tacked on, which is how people think about art today, right? It's something that's like extraneous. It doesn't really matter to them. People, if they care about it, if they care about art. It's like a special hobby or something. It's not really um, inherent to the way that they carry out their lives. <laughs> yeah, not not to not to keep beating this dead horse, but they like literally don't have brick mindset, right? right. <laughs> I mean, like in, in a manner of speaking, right? I mean, because because in 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 the kind of conversation that we we're having with Will, right? Like that, I think that came forward about how uh, you know the craft and sort of thinking about aesthetics mm-hmm. was really sort of integral right. to to, uh, to 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 everything. It, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. It, it couldn't be separated. Yeah, yeah, and so. Um, so this piece is about use it basically. I use Arvatov to kind to talk about another thing that, or talk about a phenomenon that's really relevant to architects today, which is this question of whether architects are relevant or not. Um, yeah, and and I start with an example. So you and I recently, not I guess not that recently anymore. We went to Indiana Dunes National Lakeshore. Is that what it's called? Um. Anyway, and and we went. And there's like this very beautiful beach house there. It's like a beach f- pavilion, not beach house. Beach f- pavilion that I found out used to operate as like bathrooms, locker rooms, and a cafeteria for people who were like coming to the beach. And it's now boarded up, but the bo- the building itself is very beautiful. You can tell it was designed by an architect. It has ama- amazing brickwork. Um, speaking of, and. You know, I, th- I looked at this thing and I thought, well, that can't be built today. And it's not because architects are worse today or because architects don't care about making um, public space 
that is beautiful. It's simply because there there's no there's no material means, right? There's no funding basically mm. to make yeah. buildings like that. And then I and then that led me down this basically that sent me on this path of thinking about how architects today feel like they're no longer relevant to society mm. and the things that they are taught to do in school, which is like make things like a very beautiful like public beach pavilion that people can like enjoy with their family and think about how that meets, you know, the parking lot and how it like frames the views of the beach, et cetera, et cetera. Those are the things that architects learn how to do in school. And then they get out and they, and their job is to like make door schedules <laughs> or like manage right. an Excel spreadsheet with like the, the, construction administration like information for a certain like project or um doing very very discrete tasks and so and so there's this general like malaise in the profession because architects feel like they're they're not really relevant and they're not being they're not able to exercise what they're being taught to do and then counter to that the sort of leadership of the professional organizations is saying things like, oh, well, architects are going undergoing a relevance revolution and architects are going to be relevant now but because... A relevance revolution. What a turn of phrase. Just I know. So this is a quote that Carla Fonte... Um, who, who's the, who the is president. the president of the American Institute of yeah. Architects said this right before the 2018 American Institute of Architects convention conference, the national, the big national meeting. And he said that the reason that architects are going to be relevant are relevant now or are going to be relevant is that architecture is that si- the, the future is going to be urban. Um, and so architects are going to be relevant because they have to make buildings. Yeah. Which, and, which, if I can say, is just like ridiculous. Like it's it's wackadoodle logic because the f- the future has been urban since like eight. <laughs> well, the future <laughs> has like, the future like has been urban <laughs> since since the since the world started to really industrialize. Right. Why did the world start to industrialize? Because there are capitalists who need their all of their operations to be in the same place, <laughs> and all of the people who work, all of the workers who make the operations run to be in the same place. Yeah. It's totally, it's totally a historical to just say, well, the future (laughs) is urban and therefore architects are going to be relevant because we need people to build our cities. And in any case, even if that is the truth, let's just say that that's true. That is totally relegating the work of architects to other forces outside of, outside of what, you know, an architect or architecture as a profession might care about. Right. Uh, Hold on one second. Legal ID time. You're listening to WLPNLP Chicago 105.5 FM Lumpen Radio. Continue. Um, I don't know what I was saying. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, oh, well, yes, right? Because, okay, who decides that cities are going, or that, that you know, the world is going to be urban? It's certainly not architects. It's people who have the, the capital and the power to make it so. Yeah. Um, and so my piece talks basically talks about that and uses Arvatov's framework to basically explain why it is that architects are no longer relevant in the way that maybe they were taught they were going to be. Basically saying, well, architecture, just like art, has become um, a commodity. It's only people, the people who get to have very nice buildings are people who have a lot of money. Mm. And then everyone else just gets whatever riffraff. Mm-hmm. And the work of architects is increasingly 
um, sort of cordoned off um, into very discrete tasks that are very easily monetizable, right? So the more ephemeral things that maybe architects were taught to do, think about, you know, context, think about, like, the poetry of the material to, like, talk about brick or um, to think about, you know, how to, you know, properly program something so that, like, the the structure of the building sort of matches its purpose. Like, all those things, very hard, very, very hard to commodify. Architects, they no longer do them, really, when we, like, look at the profession as a whole, and they do very, very discreet tasks that are easy to basically sell and buy. Yeah, which is... a super interesting point, and 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 I think it's it's very interesting that Arvatov connects it to easel art in the way that he does, and mm-hmm. um, especially because I, I so I was recently reading uh, the sort of like history of of Venice, and um, like which is of course like one of the like ground zero points of origin for sort of capitalism, because uh, ba- banking was sort of invented there and in, in northern Italy, etc. And so you have this very sort of primitive form of, 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 of capitalism happening, but it's also Venice is literally where easel painting was invented, hmm. um, which is easy for us to forget that, you know, for the vast, vast majority of human history, uh, uh, paintings 99% of the time were happening on walls. In a pla- that were tied to a place, but because of the flooding in Venice, um, they realized that they needed to, to take the paintings off of the walls if they could uh, mm-hmm. to protect them from the flooding. So they invented easel art, and then being bankers, they realized that they could move these things around and sort of even use them for diplomacy and, and, and treat it as a kind of commodity. And so, uh, so it's not just that kind of easel art is like you know this kind of metaphor for Arvatov. Like it's literally like the the origins of it are kind of mm-hmm. tied up in its in its existence as a commodity form. Mm-hmm. And and so I, I thought, uh, which I think Arvatov talks about a little bit um, in, yeah. in, in his kind of weird way. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely not a metaphor. Like he actually, he, he basically says, you know, art now is basically just easel art. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what it is. And this is why, because yeah. otherwise art, can't really exist yeah yeah under capitalism because it can't be commodified sure and so how else can you be an artist yeah if you can't sell your work right and and i think that's one of the interesting sort of binds that we're in right and i and i think that you know there there is probably a kind of friendlier version of the system where some of this stuff can exist like you know talking about brick earlier right like you know our building is built like in chicago in 1890 where we where we live and it's very beautiful like in Mm -hmm. in its brickwork and everything still a capitalist system but like um so but 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 a very kind of different context than like the full throttle like me mediated like spectacle that we like live in in this moment Mm -hmm. um but but I guess I bring that all up to say that um, it's really easy to kind of sound, I think, regressive uh, in these kinds of conversations about like going yeah, back to well, which is I not what you advocate nostalgia. for me or or Arvatov. Yeah. So so like what what well, is I think it? It's what very is the easy? What is what? <laughs> what you always are, you always question my questions, <laughs> which I, I love very much. But <laughs> but well, what is it that's what is it that's progressive and sort of Arvatov's telling? 
in 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 your thoughts like uh, okay yeah well i mean i think it's not a nostalgia yeah for me it's at least and i don't think it should be for for anyone because um the the i well the history of the world is a history of uh uh progress and i don't mean that in the sense that like things just continually get better but things continually um change based on what happened before um so i think that the the thing that is really revelatory about arvatov is that his basic point is like listen we all want to be able to have art and and be surrounded by beautiful things and Mm. artists should be able to not only have a place in society but also in some ways have a role in society that isn't just creating things that like kind of look good um (laughs) right right? his one of his points is that artists can have the capacity because of the way that they can think creatively about what is materially around them have the capacity to do things like order um life and Mm. order like systems of production for example um which now is done by like people who study logistics right um (laughs) but but he says you know that can also be a role um that for artists in in society and he says that but the only way there that for that to be artist's role or for for artists to be able to make things that are important to people's everyday lives that aren't just decoration that it we can't live under capitalism. It's just inherently incompatible because it's impossible to commodify. Mm -hmm. It's impossible to commodify. um, Like I was saying before, right? A trivet that like fits your like tea kettle perfectly. It's impossible. Um, And so for me, that that's the thing that is, um, that is revelatory and that is sort of forward looking. Um, which is to say, you know, we actually need to change the the political system and the economic system that we're in if we are if we are going to be able to um, have artists and architects have the roles that they want to have in in society and that we want them to have. I think. Yeah. And then, I think that um, the other thing that comes out of arvatov is um well he says that there's um it's not he makes this argument against um constantly sort of like the 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 fetish of like the the art object Mm. um and i also think that that's i mean it's an interesting because he's like constantly arguing in favor of art, yeah, but against its kind of like simplification into just like a, a an art object to be fetishized, right? Yeah, which is what which is a really uh, difficult sort of needle to thread. Um, mm-hmm. But but when you think about this kind of concept, I, I think he calls it life building, right? Mm-hmm. Of sort of art being integral to everyday life. It kind of what 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 he means by that comes into focus, mm-hmm. and it is kind of a it is a kind of fine distinction because I think we can think about you know, everyone can still kind of ha- has an example of something that kind of meets this description, which mm-hmm. I think is is one of the things that sort of gives me like uh, uh, a hope that that people won't become kind of hopelessly alienated in, yeah. in, in a kind of you know uh, you know spectacle of capitalist hyperrealism, right? Yeah. Like, um, so yeah, 
And I think he talks about too, you know, how important, how it, it'll, it'll be important. Well, two things. One, that, it, that it'll be important for artists to learn how to work together, yeah. right? Right now, our model is like the sort of like lone soul artist, sure. you know, producing like the individual art object and the, and the value of the object comes from not only the fact that it's unique, but also its ability to express the maker's uniqueness and individuality. Mm-hmm. And and that's, you know, part of like the, the, the fetish that he talks about. And right. so art art as self-expression. Yes, right? exactly. And 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 also the consumption of art as as its own form of self-expression, uh-huh. right? Yeah. I mean like Tumblr works on uh, very much on this principle, right? Yes. <laughs> Where like, you know, by kind of reposting and regurgitating a, a, an image, it becomes part of your sort like of build I- your identity, identity through through yeah. the kind of consumption of it. So he talks about that, you know, he talks about te- artists being able to work yeah. in teams um, and and art being able to be produced collectively and for the collective good, mm-hmm. which is something that's, I think, for a lot of people, very hard to imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing that he talks about is how we don't have to wait, which I, th- I thought this was also to answer your question about, okay, well, how is this not nostalgic? And he says, you know, we don't have to wait to until we don't have capitalism anymore to start doing some of these things mm-hmm. and just like you know um unions or workers who are unionized aren't waiting for capitalism to not exist anymore to make demands that that we could start um practicing sure. art in this way and we could start at least trying to think about how we could potentially practice art in this way and and lay kind of the groundwork for um for ideally what we would want art and architecture to right. be like right which which i think is is really kind of important to kind of i don't know like premeditating <laughs> like and mm-hmm. fig- just figuring it out because yeah because it's it's it, like you said it, it can't be a kind of return to to craft right like in in the kind of way in a right in a kind of because that can be its own kind of Sort of, sort of fetish. Yeah, is, well, is I, the, I think the that there are carefully lo- put together, you know, artisanal sort of, yes. sort of object. Which I think is what we we see a lot of that within architecture. Right. We we've seen it for the last, like, I think probably I don't know, two decades of architects kind of deciding, well, I want to like opt out of this of the system because I I don't want to you know be in an Excel spreadsheet and I don't want to you know make a door schedule mm-hmm. i'm gonna sort of opt out of it i'm gonna build my own practice and it's gonna be entirely craft based and i'm going to like m- make very beautiful like s- small objects or whatever and um on the one hand i think you know every every individual can you know should be able to like freely pursue what they want um and but then on the other hand it's I think it's about it's not there's something about that impulse that is a little bit regressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so hopefully I think architects and artists can be thinking about how to move forward yeah. in their practices, yeah. both in not necessarily just in what they make, mm-hmm. which I think is generally part of that regressive impulse is like, I don't want to make an office building. I want to make something else. Right. But it's about how that thing is made, right? You can be making a very beautiful craft object sure. and still, um, I don't know, be a very exploitative boss, for example. 
Correct. Yeah, and I and I also you know I also think one of the things that the essay does a really good job of sort of talking about is that so, so much of it depends on the kind of context uh, you know because because architects even even ones who runs who even architects who run their own small practice they they still have to sell their labor power to live and mm-hmm. so you don't you you kind of don't get to pick and choose um unless you have like an alternate source of income and, yeah. and sort of even even then and so you know really like arch- architecture becomes a, a kind of service that's only really available to the kind of like rich and wealthy mm-hmm. or large institutions or uh, or uh you know and 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 when it's not in existing in those kinds of situations, it's literally about like I need your like permit stamp and getting that for as cheap mm-hmm. as, as uh, you know they can. Um, so you know I don't know like what a what a difficult context, right? And and yeah, uh, I think it's definitely more difficult or complex talking about architects than talking about art. Yeah, I think it's a totally because of the way I mean because of the way that right. architecture is is. Um, commodified and and the way that it is tied up with funding structures and things like this and then the way art is not so exactly in the same way right and there's still a a pretty strong um system of patronage for artists today uh much stronger than for architects although although for architects it still exists but it's a little bit more right occluded yeah certainly obscure yeah. Yeah, and I and I mean I think you know it relates to kind of alternative practices as well because um, mm. you know if I had there's there because there are lots of good firms who may maybe in the sort of similar way to kind of premeditating like a, a better art practice like, yeah uh, you know like in, in firms that do sort of quote unquote social architecture like um, well like yeah, yeah. and you know, like I've said for a long time like the task is to like make alternative practices not alternative anymore um, yes but, but which which is really not a task but that's I, about architecture at all but i think you know it's funny it's not about architecture at all and it's interesting you bring up you know the alternative practice um as you know people who like or architects practices who make what did you say social well, the architecture. social architecture is what but folks that's, are calling to me it these that, days to me that's not an alternative practice that's just an alternative product like right i want to see an alternative (laughs) practice that it makes office buildings yes but is but it's a worker-owned firm yes you know yeah that to me would be an alternative practice liberation, (laughs) and would fall in line of what with our what arvatov is saying is of like we don't have to wait we can start we can start yeah. Sort of practicing or modeling what we would like to see in the future, not in a prefigurative way, yeah. not in a way that's like sort of cosplaying at like what we want our ideal lives to be, right. but in a way that's like if like actually building power to then win whatever it is that right. we want. Right. Because, uh, because of course, like the the worker world, power, right? Yeah, Be, well, right. Which is important because it's it's not that these are uh, just kind of systems that exist in the abstract. With like, it's not it's not the fact that no one has thought of it that mm-hmm. is the kind of barrier to like living this life. Yeah, which I think brings us to the other thing that's happened since the last time you've been on the radio show, um, which is you you edited um, um, uh, Room One Thousand, the the Berkeley Architecture. Yes, Journal. with someone named Cooper Rogers. Yeah, we. He and I were co-editors in chief of issue six of Room One Thousand, which is the UC Berkeley Journal of Architecture, 
And it was themed very and it appropriately. Was themed work on work, yeah. And yes. so, um, so t- tell us about tell us about work. Well, we wanted to make an uh, so the Room a Thousand is a, is a journal. It's not a peer reviewed journal, and it's um, kind of a weird hybrid between the content is kind of a hybrid between academic like writing and um short form sort of snacky kind of thought pieces and then like images and um design explorations um and yeah we wanted to to make an issue um about work um specifically Asking, and we specifically asked people who we knew would have kind of different takes on this issue. Um, and it's not just, you know, work in the sense of workers who make architecture, but also work in the sense of like, who does architecture work for? Hmm. Is, is there like embedded or embodied work in buildings or in the process of designing them? Um so yeah, and it had kind of a, a range of of pieces from um, things like someone wrote about um, Louis Kahn, the f- famed Philadelphia architect, major um, brick mindset, major Maybe. brick mindset, <laughs> B- big brick energy, <laughs> big br- big brick energy. <laughs> There it is. Um, we, we should just end the show there. Um, and um, and and talked about um, Lucan is having a conception of the work of the architect that was like very expansive and included things like inspiration and how he it, it basically focused on Khan's work as a teacher and how he tried to the kind of work ethic that he tried to instill in his students. Um, And then, yeah, from that kind of thing to someone who wrote a piece about the famine follies of Ireland, which were these like work relief projects that were, um, uh, it was a program by the government during the potato famine. And basically in order to qualify for welfare, you, um, had to participate in one of these work relief programs. And one of them was just building these like useless structures called follies uh, called in, in kind of like architectural parlance known as follies throughout Ireland. And so if you participate in these are totally useless buildings, the only purpose for them was to uh, have people do work so that then they would quote unquote deserve welfare. And so the, there's dozens of these in Ireland um, and they're like these huge, like totally fantastical kind of like lo- bizarre looking um, structures. Like one of them is like this weird like spiral kind of tower. Um, and um, that piece was very interesting. Yeah. I had didn't know. I personally didn't know about <laughs> that history before. So, um, yeah, kind of the runs the gamut. You wrote something for I it. I don't something. know if you are allowed to talk about it, if you want to talk about yeah, it. Yeah. I'm yeah. Um yeah. There were all there was one one piece about sort of like hippie building culture. Yeah. Counterculture building culture. So in in the kind of process of editing, was there like what did you like feel like you 
I don't know. Do you feel like you learned something? <laughs> do you feel like do you feel like you you kind of uh, I don't know. Was was there any kind of big conclusion? I mean, you guys had a really you you wrote a kind of really wonderful in, introduction to to the kind of uh, to the issue. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that. Hmm. We wrote the introduction. We wrote it kind of late. Um, in in the process, it's not like it's something that we wrote wrote first as a kind of manifesto. Hmm. Um, and basically our, our thing was like, there's any attempt to make, make buildings that are themselves as objects going to solve any problems in society as sort of like fetishistic, yeah. um, at best and like paternalistic at worst. And so what we need to f- focus on is, is actually how those things are made because that's where our power lies as architects right? is because as, as a, and in our um, status as workers. And so, um, yeah, and I think, you know, we were trying to orient people to to really think about that because I think for a lot of, I mean, I've talked about this before, for a lot of architects, um, they don't have a lot of class consciousness. Yeah. Because of the way that they are, you know, taught that they are professionals. And from a very, if you are trained as an architect, you're probably trained since you were like 18. So it happens relatively, when you're relatively young and you're you're taught that you're a professional and that's something different than being a worker. And so we were really trying to orient um, the, or we were trying to push push people to through reading the the issue orient themselves um toward a way of thinking that really considers the work that goes into the labor that goes into making architecture yeah well i think the issue did that um and folks can folks can uh, find out more more about it on their own uh, because we are out of time for this segment um Thanks. Is there? Do you have any final comments? Uh, I think that's a good a good a place as any to end. Yeah. Well, um, th- thank you, dear. You're <laughs> so weird. You're welcome. Weird. No, I'm I'm always happy to have you on this show uh, because um, um, I don't know be- because of your your big brick energy. <laughs> My big brick energy. Big All brick right. Energy. The end. The end. I'm leaving now. Okay. Good okay, songs for you, Kiefer. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Hey, it's time for the Buildings on Air Mailbag. Brought to you, of course, by the Marvelettes. Take it away, Kiefer. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> we have mailbag music now, y'all. <laughs> We're so official. So official, which is uh, is great. Right on time for, for our official mailbag correspondence uh, to be back since August. Um, uh, we are joined in the studio. And Louis, Craig Reschke of Future Firm, here to answer your listener questions about buildings. How's it going, y'all? Good. Thanks for having us back. Yeah. yeah. Did you miss us? Was mailbag terrible in our absence? No, mailbag mailbag was very good in your absence. Mailbag was better than ever. Guys, that's the wrong answer. We still missed you. We still missed you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nick, Nick and Emily are are, are wonderful ringers, um, and uh, you know. 
Um, but I, I've got a question, which is which is relevant. Um, this is a, an honest to question I was going to ask you. Contractor ran off mid job. What should I do? <laughs> um, which uh, maybe relates to what you guys were just up to. I understand you're helping build something, and you and you ran off mid job to come join. Oh, us. I was gonna say, did somebody you call you? I'm this and, needle. <laughs> yes. Did somebody call you and say Anne and Craig were in the middle of mudding and painting a wall, and then they disappeared to quote unquote go on the radio? <laughs> uh, they they did not. But but what 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 were you guys up to just now? We're working on a gallery space that's going to open in the Pedway later this year in yep. December. Yeah, for and people who don't know, the Pedway is a network of underground, um, both quasi-private, quasi-public spaces underneath Chicago's Loop um, and is right now filled with, I don't know, dry cleaners, transit hubs, shoe shining places. There's a good ramen place. Um, many mysteries yet to be uncovered. Yeah. Oh. But so uh, we're supposed to give a shout out to our crew that is still there, <laughs> scraping, muddying, painting. <laughs> and trimming baseboard. Uh, Everything that we're legally supposed to be doing in that space, we're doing. And we're not doing anything else. <laughs> yes. It that is. does not sound suspicious at all, but thank you for clarifying. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that For the record. <laughs> I did have a moment this morning when I was scraping the paint off of drywall where I was like, do we need a permit for this? <laughs> then I was like going through my head. I was like, no, this is definitely on the list. It's only painting. <laughs> yeah. Um, that will be – I'm just going to put that just to cover our bases in all future mailbag. <laughs> is anything illegal happening? here <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um cool okay so but, but the question but the is the question is contractor ran off mid-job what should i do hire a lawyer <laughs> yes yeah that, that is in fact what you should do yeah well oh we should ask jamie about this question yes too. you should <laughs> yes you should always bring in the real life experience so <laughs> yeah craig craig your instinct is exactly right and the reason is is because if you were doing a renovation your contract's insurance and liability are in force on the job. And if he walks off the job and you get a new contractor, you're releasing him from that insurance and liability, mm. possibly putting you at legal risk. So you do need to consult a lawyer. You know, Obviously, if a guy abandons a job, you have bigger issues than that. But any kind of building project of significant size and, and money, you do need to CYA because uh, you, for example, he could have walked off the job because he used improper building materials. He's been right. busted on something else or he wasn't paying his staff in a proper way. And they're going to try to put a lien on your house mm -hmm. to get the money they're owed for the building materials. So it's extremely important to do that. Remembering again that in this state, his, his liability and insurance are actually allegedly covering you, assuming you hired a contractor who was licensed and bonded and has yeah. insurance in the first place. Yeah, which I guess means uh, that it's it's a uh, now, now that you know, uh, uh, you can get copies of all of that stuff. Uh, yes, uh, and you should have that. Yeah. Well, it's important to also uh, have a good contract with your contractor from the start, mm -hmm. which the AIA provides through architects and through the AIA um, contract documents, yeah. um, which covers a lot of these issues that come up in uh, in day to day operations. Yeah, and if I, then this really isn't you know too much but it's not an uncommon occurrence either i mean totally a wall is uh is maybe somewhat rare but but um you know contractors have a kind of difficult job balancing schedules and work crews and everything and, and coordinating so i feel like it, it is kind of like oh yeah you, you expect someone to show up to the job site and they don't like that's it's pretty it's pretty typical um but having a good contract and and the, the ability and knowledge to like 
hold someone's feet to the fire definitely helps. I guess people are busy, but, you know, contracting, it's kind of like dating. You shouldn't ghost, you know, if you're (laughs) busy and you have other things going on or, you know, reasons that you need to put the project on hold. The the contract does, you know, the AIA boilerplate contracts do kind of offer provisions from that. So don't just stop texting, you know. When you have something else you need to be doing, is my my opinion. Good communication, but yeah. I think all good relationships. Uh, <laughs> one of the, um, I think particularly right now because of uh, labor markets, um, the construction industry, construction prices are really high, and the labor market is really tight. So in order to get good prices, uh, a lot of people are kind of going to newer, less experienced contractors. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that in, in a market like this, you just have to watch out for that. And you also should make sure to get good recommendations on your contractors. Look at other jobs that they've done. Don't just look at the pictures. Call the clients that mm-hmm. they worked for. Ask them uh, how the project went. If they're happy with the work, just do your due diligence. Yeah. There's also another end of that. A lot of contractors use subcontractors on their jobs. And that's not necessarily to your benefit because mm-hmm. what that means is a contractor, instead of pr- doing the work himself, is acting as basically a middleman between you and a network of people that are doing the contracts. Um, that can lead you to problems because sometimes if a contractor is using nothing but subs on their job, what it basically means is they don't have the training or expertise to do it themselves, number one. But number two, they're probably also dipping into the least expensive part of the labor pool and you may not be getting the best quality work that you're paying for. Yeah. Uh, a system – that system was was also in- invented in Chicago. <laughs> you know, we, we usually take credit for inventing the skyscraper, um, but that's, that's the kind of uh, ugly flip side was that like, you know, there needed to be like huge divisions of labor. And so and, – and that was one of the effects was sort of um, – uh, s- the separation of the kind of builder from the person who manages the the kind of building, yeah. um, and that's that's like a very old thing, um, but but also a, a, a Chicago uh, the the contractor I think is a I think the first the first you can look up like the first contracting mm-hmm. company it's like I think like the George Fuller Company or something mm-hmm. like that but like you know, it's like 120 years ago. Um, not not old at all, which mm-hmm. is kind of re- remarkable since these things feel like they're just so, I don't know, like permanent and, and unchangeable, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. just because it's like very Sisyphean, like when, yeah. when you're having to deal with all of these systems. Yeah. yeah, I should add with one other thing in defense of a contractor, if you are the kind of person that is having contractors walk out on you <laughs> frequently, yeah. you may mm. wish to look at your interpersonal style. <laughs> uh, I, I have been on work crews and I've seen uh, people walk off jobs with very good reason. So, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, there's there's that side of it, too. Not every time a contractor ghosts is because they're uh, incompetent or trying to pull a scam. It, it actually could be you. So yeah. <laughs> it could be we, you. We, we should, we should <laughs> Yeah. That. Yes. And I – and I yeah, I feel like also I – like shout, shout out to contractors, like uh, <laughs> just don't don't hate me. <laughs> I have to hire you. Uh, yeah, uh, we, we continue to do good work con- for us. Yes. And text us when text us back when we text you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Next question: Can you make a table with wooden pallets that you leave near dumpsters? I want to get my hands dirty and creative. Oh, I really think Craig should answer this because um, Craig once designed this beautiful restaurant in Boston that. I don't know if I can encourage I can encourage people to go to on the radio. Craig designed a beautiful restaurant in Boston where the walls are made from pallets, but they are um, the the only negative review this restaurant has ever gotten was from a gentleman who said, 
um, don't go to this restaurant. I got a splinter in my butt from the uh, <laughs> unfinished pallets that serve as walls of this place, okay, which are well, truly, really quite beautiful and actually finished. <laughs> in in my defense, there are no pallets that you sit on in that place. They are only decorative on the wall. Uh, but I think that... Uh, t- <laughs> <laughs> it was a very nice restaurant. I know. We had to work hard. Actually, this was a funny story. That um, in order to get the pallets to hang on the wall, the the client um, who was the chef opening this restaurant was like very interested in. Uh, he part of the restaurant was a market, and he was interested in food that was like shipped on pallets, and really yeah. liked this imagery. Um, so we. We drew the um, restaurant, which has pallets used as kind of dividers and also, like, along the walls as, like, part of a lighting feature. Uh-huh. Um, but the when we originally drew them and sent it to this, the contractor that was doing the space, who was used to doing high-end mm. um, restaurants, he sent the pallet drawings to his mill worker who does, like, high-grade <laughs> cabinetry. And they came back and it was, like, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars for these pallets. So we actually drew, drove out to like rural Massachusetts to a pallet uh, company, like people that make pallets for shipping, yeah, and talked to them about it. And the guy that owned that company was really interested in it. He was like, yeah, yeah, I'll make these pallets for you. So he actually fabricated all of them for like a significantly reduced price. But it was like the mill worker just like didn't know how to make something with, with that it. quality wood. Yeah, interesting. So to answer the question, I think uh, probably don't make a table out of pallets yeah. because the wood is – is the lowest of low-grade woods, yeah. and you won't be able to plane it or finish oh, I, it in any of, kind of good way. I kind of love that idea, though, that, like, someone is, like, has a high degree of, like, craft and, ex- like, craft expertise and knowledge about <laughs> about how to make something that is, like, sort of of, of a poor quality, <laughs> right? Like, there's something very poetic about that. <laughs> yeah, or that you can have incredible craftsmanship and knowledge but not know how to make something that is... Um, yeah, like a lower grade, but still like a highly tuned and designed logistical system, yeah. right? That 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 pallets work in a certain way and are yeah. like honed to be that. But like, yes, your custom cabinet maker is not the right person right. to really make those. Wait, why are we assuming the questioner knows how to make a table in the first place? <laughs> <laughs> Just stack them up. Yeah. One well, and also depending on where you live, you can get really good money for used pallets. Yes. And, uh, so mm. so they if they. If they do, they do want to get their hands dirty and get creative, uh, but they might, they might be able to sell that pallet and, like, you know, get get nicer wood if they want. <laughs> Are pallets not like milk cartons that they have like the owner's name stamped on the side of them? Don't no, they usually have a no, thing? That they, they have a. I think some of them have the certifications and stuff stamped on them, or like ratings. Oh, so you know how much you can load them up with. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's a big underground market, especially around here, because there are two big pallet companies on the edge of Bridgeport and Pilsen. Yeah, mm. and so pallets. Uh, there's, of course, well, now there's these plastic pallets too, which I think are an affront to God. But <laughs> you know, that's, that's a whole other thing. But like shipping anything that is wood is so complicated, right? Like the yeah. the grade of lumber has to be very specific. That makes pallets and crates and everything. So I assume that that wood is not only like low grade and inexpensive wood, but wood that meets international s- shipping certifications. Mm. Yeah, which I think are maybe yeah. Anyway, I bet you, I bet you, <laughs> uh, there's probably a forthcoming Keller Easterling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The thickness of the credit yeah. card, the lumber of the pallet, yeah. and, and other international. Uh, yeah, I look forward to reading standards. it. Um, uh, next question: um, uh, Will untreated cinder block rot when exposed to constant moisture? 
it won't no. rot. No, there's <laughs> no organic material to rot. Yeah. Uh, ask, asked and answered. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 mean, I, have, no, I have no more information. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess I'm wondering what is producing this question. Cinder blocks will hold water. A lot of poorly built uh, concrete masonry unit walls around Chicago, mm-hmm. if you drill holes into them, you know, like water will pour out. Yeah. I, I, I'm wondering if the asker is thinking about like an exposed CMU wall yeah. and is wondering if that is a durable exterior wall material. Yeah, and I th- which I think the answer would be an unequivocal sort of yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, but, you know, Wait, you think it is a durable? A wall? durable wall, yeah, certainly. Only if it's sealed correctly. Right, well, because, which I guess is the follow-up question is, is about... If they don't, if they don't mean rot so literally, uh, mm. uh, like go bad, Let's right? Just say go, go bad. bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, because because in in which case, like, it, uh, if it's not painted or water treated in some way, um, uh, it could like water could get in the cracks and freeze, or like even like fungus or mold, like something organic could right. grow in there and expand. Um, which, you know, uh, would create cracks and crevices, and that would be bad. Uh, the split-face concrete block that was used all over Chicago, I think, in, like, the 90s and early aughts is, uh, I think, which, particularly offensive and gross. Split-face concrete block, which you might recognize from, like, elementary school, <laughs> any, any school ever, uh, yeah. really. Uh, prisons concrete, and concrete. schools. Prisons <laughs> and schools, yeah. It's that, it's that concrete masonry unit that has the kind of rough face on, on one side. I think in the business we call that rustication. <laughs> uh, definitely not. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. Is it, is it yeah, r- rusticated <laughs> on a Roman temple? Like, if not, I don't know if you can call it that. Uh, so there you go. So uh, it, the answer is, like, s- sort of um, – it will rot with com- constant moisture. If, if, but I think if there's no freeze or thaw, and it's like a like a real like sort of cinder block that that doesn't that's very smooth and and doesn't have big aggregate, it'll probably last longer than mm-hmm. than otherwise. Uh, is it bad to have a washer or dryer in an uninsulated garage? Yesterday I viewed a house to rent. The washer and dryer is in the garage. It is uninsulated and unheated. Well, I have problems with that in the winter. I live in the Seattle area, so it usually doesn't get super cold, but we do have at least a couple of days below freezing every year. Any pipes that are filled with water and get frozen will burst, I guess. Yeah. 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 But the, <laughs> the thing is that the garage may not get down to freezing if, the, if it is an old house. They're heating the house. The heat coming off of the house might keep the garage somewhat warm. Obviously, if the washer and dryer has been there for many years, it's clearly working in some way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, it's not going to affect the dryer, first of all. I mean, depending on what kind of dryer it is, I guess it mm. shouldn't. I guess if it's super cold, the gas could, you know, if it's a gas dryer, could have some trouble igniting, mm. but that's mm. not big. Um, the feed to the washer, yeah, I mean, unless Seattle area, I mean, I think this would be a different question if you said I was in Nome, Alaska. <laughs> you know, then I, then I would have a different answer. So I can't. Well, I can't or really, in Chicago, right? Um, I guess it would depend whether the garage was attached to the house or not. But sure, you know, um, I guess if it's a gas dryer, probably the ambient heat, though, from the um, the pilot, the, the pilot light, yeah, would probably be warm enough in mm. there because mm. it, yeah. you know, uh, I don't, you know. I, I, it's not something I would recommend necessarily, yeah, well, but it's probably okay. And if you're worried about it freezing, I suppose as long as you have the appropriate sort of v- valve and uh, drain, then yeah. you could just, you know, 
I don't know, turn turn it off, uh, turn off the water supply. Well, you'd have to clean to it the, out, though. You'd have to blow sure. the water out of the right. line and drain right. it. Right. Yeah. Or you could hire an architect to design you a new garage or a new laundry room. There you go. All right. <laughs> or you could just put some insulation in the garage. Yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, in in any case, you don't rent, so you shouldn't worry. Or you rent, so you shouldn't worry about right. it. Right. It's not your problem. <laughs> <laughs> I got another question here. Uh, since we're on brick mindset today, mm. um, how many brick required to build six room? What? Six <laughs> room singular. Six room singular. <laughs> uh, we should be able to figure this out. But How? it'll be painfully boring. <laughs> <laughs> <It's air. laughs> First, we have to decide how big room is. Yeah, uh, yeah. May and Ella made a joke when I was uh, presenting her this question earlier, and uh, she said, "Is why why not Are a room shaped brick?" <laughs> Which I thought was a very beautiful idea. <laughs> it's like, yes. Or is it room the movie? Yeah, right. mm. Ah, yeah. So that's the way I was going with it. <laughs> Who, someone just designed a house up on the North Shore, uh, either Crick and Sexton or John Ronan, that has like this brick screen on mm. the front of it where like every brick, the bricks are in like single stacks and clearly have some steel behind them yeah. and they rotate as they go up. Oh, yeah. Um, but it was a, um, it's one of those moments where you look at it and it's like, that's not what the brick said, Con, or that's not what the brick told Khan it wanted to be. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, certainly not. <laughs> a very lightweight screen. <laughs> it was yeah. beautiful, though. Yeah, it was beautiful. I know that project. Hmm. Um, the answer, I think, is a lot. Um, and <laughs> talk, talk to a mason. And it also depends on uh, exactly whether it's a veneer wall or, you know, a cat. Like, there's a, a lot of variables. Um, <laughs> so the, 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 the size of your room. <laughs> um, anyway. Hire an architect hire is an, also the answer uh, for uh, that yeah, question. Yes, hire an architect. What do you think, what do you think the most ubiquitous man-made object in the world is? That we could count individually, like bricks. Brick? Bricks seem like pretty up there. Yeah, like I if you counted every brick on the planet, there must be you know lots. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yes, I, yeah. Uh, I think we're all in agreement with you. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of incisive reasoning we expect on the mailbag. <laughs> you may be the winner of our area award today, Greg. <laughs> it's, it's exactly the kind. It's exactly the kind of question that I'm often posing, and Marianella is often saying, "Like this is you don't need to do drugs <laughs> because this is the kind of question that is right you're regularly asking, uh, you know, under no additional chemical influence <laughs> and no duress." From and no duress, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe that's the problem. That is I don't a, need, I don't have enough duress to sort of, you know. <laughs> um, uh, next question. Um, can I cut the beams in my ceiling to create an attic loft? <laughs> can you? <laughs> can you? Uh, it well, it depends what's above your ceiling, I guess. Yeah, there the, was a, there was an explanation that that they basically have a kind of gable roof and it's a tiny house, so they want to make use of uh, as much space as is possible. The the ceiling joists, unless you have collar ties are holding the top of your house from flopping outwards. So yeah. if you cut those out, the roof will end push up, down and flatten, <laughs> end up and on your, your house will table. collapse. <laughs> but you can add yeah. collar ties up in the attic, and then you can cut them out. Yeah. Uh, but you should hire an architect. Yeah. <laughs> Which, what is, what is a collar tie, Craig? <laughs> collar tie is a uh, piece of wood that connects both the rafters higher than... Yeah. The ceiling. So think of it like 
the line in an A instead of um, the bottom, the of, bottom a of a triangle. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which is a good explanation, and and also like uh, you know it, it works in a similar principle. If you ever see like the thin steel rods or cables like in an old cathedral, and like wonder yeah. like what's that doing there? It's doing exactly that thing. It's a, it's a it's a tensile member that's keeping the roof from pushing the walls outward, and then leaving the roof without anything to stand on. You could also add columns under the ridge beam. I was actually going to say, you probably want to have somebody look at your beams and, and maybe put in a column there for support. Yeah, um, That is actually something, and it, it's an interesting question, because that had to be done in our house. Ah. Because ah. we did not have two <laughs> exits from our attic. And under code, our, since our attic was a finished space, we actually had to go up and cut through what what was left after the fire of the ceiling between the second and third floor mm. and put in a staircase there. So we had to fly beams and, and put in college rides. Yeah. Uh, Jamie, whenever I think like mailbag is like not going to be relevant to someone, like you're always <laughs> like, I, I lived this. <laughs> I'm always like, I'm always imagining like a young Jamie out there in the world right now, like listening to our show and, and, and avoiding all these problems. It's, I, I feel like it's a, like a, like a time travel where we're like, you know, changing the future. Uh, <laughs> you know, Young Jamie was certainly very handsome too. So, uh, yeah. I, I yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe uh, future Jamie uh, has oh. invented a time machine and maybe. is supplying us with the questions right <laughs> now. Oh, that's certainly true. It could be. Yeah, uh, I hadn't thought of that. See, and I'm, uh, I, I'm not on drugs, everyone. It's kind of my <laughs> yeah, exactly. Soon right, exactly. Jamie will be building a six-room <laughs> brick house. Brick. Yeah, brick. Yeah. 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 These questions could be relevant. Craig's <laughs> uh, dad has sent us an amendment to the. CMU block comment that can I can I pipe oh, in please. as our what did you call him earlier today our buildability consultant <laughs> buildability <laughs> Mike says that the CMU block is porous and not just in the joints but the the water can slip through the the block itself into mm. the wall cavity yes dad I already said that <laughs> <laughs> I believe Craig you said that if you drilled into the CMU you could get water coming out of it yeah, but the water had to get in some. <laughs> I'm just I'm backing you up here, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> that interjection. Thanks, aside. Dad. <laughs> uh, my, Craig's dad has been giving him grief about his um, drywall mudding skills all morning. So <laughs> yeah. this is like a sensitive sensitive area. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Your strokes aren't good, huh, Craig? No, oh, no, dear. not up, not up to, yeah. not up to par. We don't want to stand that. Is what I've been hearing for the past three hours. Just put some mud on your hawk, man. Oh, <laughs> nice diagonal strokes, Craig. <laughs> uh, Jamie, what are you doing after this? <laughs> I, I'm going to go home and make dinner for my wife and, uh, and my parents. Actually, they can all come. Yeah, right, <laughs> it's a family affair. Okay. Um, what are the benefits of buying a bedroom headboard? Oh, we do not have one. Um, so our our bed is a mattress on a yeah. <laughs> bunch of two by fours. Yeah. In a box. What is the uh, so like your pillows don't fall on the crack between mm. your bed? I don't. This is just life experience. This is not from my <laughs> expertise yeah. as a licensed architect. So yeah. your pillows don't fall between your yeah. bed and your wall. It's an important interior design question, I guess. Oh yeah, yeah. you care about um, like interiors. You should chime in on. This. I mean, I, I guess some people would say it's where the handcuffs go. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know. 
<laughs> yeah, I can say as as a as a person who wears pomade at least for the foreseeable future until I lose my hair. <laughs> You're say as the person that wears the handcuffs. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, Mary and I already left. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. She's like screaming outside the window, I'm like stop. <laughs> yeah, right. You, you guys, my parents listen to the show all the time. No, but as someone who wears pomade, uh, I can tell you it's to protect the wall from head grease. Um, what? Yeah, that's a, that is a function of this. Yeah. Oh, and that's why it's called a headboard. Yeah, because uh, your no, head, your hair located near your head. <laughs> <laughs> but if you, if you if you like your hair oils, whether and which mm. you only get more of if you wear pomade, like will leave marks on the on the wall without a without a headboard. Mm. Um, but then your your head is leaving marks on your headboard. Which, if it's like a finished wood is mm, not a big deal. It's more durable. Yeah. Mm, okay. But but there are like uh, there are uh, upholstered headboards. That's a pretty common thing and I guess that might be an issue with an upholstered headboard cuz you mm. can't take mm. that off and wash it. Mm. Um. We clearly have <laughs> no information for expertise yeah. beyond Kiefer's lived experience in this case. Well, thank you Kiefer. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, Across the line. <laughs> Maybe time for one more question here. But. Yeah, sure. Who fixes outdoor drainage issues? I have major drainage issues at my house, causing a big mess at the end of my driveway. Who do I need to fix it? A plumber? A contractor? Mm. Well, I wonder, a landscape architect. I think so. Well, I guess I would. depends on where they're drain. Like, is it that their downspout is just emptying out into a puddle? Yeah, or if it's water mains. I mean, there's actually – you need more information on that question because if it's in the city of Chicago – let's just pretend they're in the city of Chicago mm-hmm. for one second – if it is the drain tiles on mm-hmm. your street that are broken, then it is the responsibility of the city of Chicago, mm. and they actually have to fix it, and you have to tell them because otherwise you're going to face some extremely serious plumbing and, and uh, contracting bills. Yeah. But if the drain tiles on your street are actually cracked and that is what is causing the issue, um, as long as it's off that residential property line, which ends at your curb before the street, um, that's their responsibility. Yeah. If you're in the country, let's say you're in – Upstate New York, and you have drainage issues at the bottom of your driveway. It's a long gravel driveway. Call a landscape architect. Yeah, uh, up on Thirty uh, First Street. Oh my God, that thing is not. <laughs> Someone had, I guess, too much water coming into their courtyard, so they rerouted a PVC pipe from their uh, from their downspout. It goes under some gravel in their courtyard, and then it, like, pops up like a periscope onto the sidewalk on 31st Street. What? So, the it's like a 12. Of their roof, like, goes through this thing and then just sprays like out Like in a fountain sidewalk. intervention is how I would call it. It looks like a, a water landscape artwork. It's like a 12-inch PVC pipe. So if you're walking by there, you're just, like, attacked by a stream of water from, like, four inches above yeah. grade. It's deeply horrifying it's and a, incredibly illegal. Yeah, thank, thankfully, like, even if there's no, like, fair use, like, this is an artwork, like, exceptions <laughs> in the building code. Because <laughs> uh, that might be a prime example. But yeah, I think la- landscape architects, because you, you, you got to call them. Call them and, uh, and they, they can at least diagnose the problem for you. Um, and, and perhaps a, a, a civil engineers will deal with this also if it's a big enough sort of production um, or, or the city has to get involved or it's like a sewer issue or like whatever. There's a I, lot of things that can cause poor drainage in, on, a, on a big site. I think also you use common sense that water always runs downhill. So if the water is coming out of your downspout or wherever it's coming from, like it has to go somewhere and it has to go somewhere through a pipe or into the ground or across a road or into a gutter. 
So just think about where the water's coming from and where you want it to go and how you can get it there. I'm sympathetic to this question asker's frustrations, though, since this is one of my most sort of like like vivid and scarring childhood memories is uh, uh, we had we had drains that would very frequently clog and uh, often we would have to go out in like torrential Georgia like summer downpours and like mm. empty out the the drains it felt very apocalyptic and biblical uh, mm. and, and sort of horrible so I can <laughs> uh, I can sympathize um, are, we're probably out of time right Jamie we're close to it yeah we're close to it got a minute or two but that's about it um, well maybe I'll just we can we can leave a question for the listeners um, <laughs> um and let's see if i've got one last one um i i don't really actually <laughs> 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 we usually have, let's see uh i don't have any funny questions to kind of leave us a cliffhanger so we'll leave a serious one um is it safe to remove large portion of concrete slab roof without compromising structure uh, send your no. answer. <laughs> no, 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 don't do it. Too long to no. Don't leave that one for the listener, folks. <laughs> right. Uh, well, on that note, uh, this has been Buildings on Air. This has been the mailbag. Um, uh, and Craig, thanks so much for joining us. Um, Producer Jamie, thanks for for all you do to make this show happen and uh, Lumpen Radio happen. And uh, we'll hear. Yeah. Oh. Your, All right. Mail jingle. There it is. Yeah, All right. Mail jingle. We'll see you next week uh, <laughs> or next month. Um, um, have a good weekend, y'all. This has been Buildings on Air on Lumpen Radio. Buildings on Air is a production of Lumpen Radio. Hosted by Kiefer Dunn. Produced by Logan Bay and Jamie Trecker. Visit us on the web at buildingsonair.live. If you want us to answer your questions about buildings on the air, send them via Twitter at bldgsonair or via email at buildingsonair at gmail.com. This show is also available as a podcast on iTunes. 